Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On today's show, it's Phoenix Pro Stock winner Erica Enders and Red Hot Funny Car driver Jack Beckman. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that Pro Stock car. We're talking early season success and maintaining momentum. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace. It's NHRA Insider Time. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, directly following the NHRA Arizona Nationals in Phoenix, which was, uh, as they always tend to be, I guess, a wild race. Um, just a really entertaining Sunday, depending on who you're rooting for, of course. Uh, it went the way you wanted to or it didn't, but boy, over the course of the three days of the event, um, we saw big-time numbers laid down by the Pro Stock Cars, specifically uh, out of Elite Motorsports. We saw some great action in Funny Car, and then we saw the, the fastest, second-fastest speed ever recorded in top field drag racing history when Brittany went 337 and change during the first round on Sunday. Um, this episode of the show, we're going to have Eric Anders, who won Pro Stock, on, and we're going to have Jack Beckman, who uh, are arguably, inarguably, the hottest funny car driver on the circuit right now. Did not win in Arizona, but had won the two previous events, meaning the finals, and then the Winter Nationals makes the final in Phoenix. So uh, did come up short there, but uh, but man, this this team, this Infinite Hero team, is just killing it right now. So we're going to catch up with Jack and get some perspective on racing sick in Pomona and racing healthier in Phoenix. The weather in Phoenix, uh, for some reason, we bring it with us, I guess, when we go to the desert. But it was funny because we did have rain on Saturday. Uh, that The fans, hardy fans in Phoenix, because it rained for the majority of the day. We got on the racetrack for one pro session in the afternoon, and the place was like 75% full. Uh, undoubtedly, it would have been a blowout sellout on Saturday if we had not had the rain. It was a sellout crowd on Sunday, and uh, the place looked great. You know, it's it's awesome to fill that drag strip up, and the enthusiasm that people in the Phoenix area have for NHRA competition is uh, is still very alive and well. And they turn out in droves every year. It was awesome. The Saturday session we did get in for the pros was great because of the fact it came on the tail end of the uh, the rain. It was cool. Got the track dry, and uh, the air had dried out pretty well at that point too so we saw some we saw some big numbers thrown down the biggest number of all this weekend as i mentioned just a moment ago was Brittany running that 337 mile an hour speed in top fuel which is just mind-boggling and you know it is we've talked about it on this show before but it, it is a very interesting fun thing when you expect and want something to happen and i wasn't rooting against terry totten i'm not rooting for anybody in the booth other than for a good show but what I was looking for was to see this team deliver in those conditions. And it wasn't qualifying. It was first-round elimination. So um, they ran that car very, very hard. And the elapsed time was uh, incredible. Reset the track record in top fuel. And then, of course, the speed, a second of all time, just, uh, just mind-boggling stuff. Um, Terry Totten licensed in his funny car on Monday, Nitro Funny Car, and had Joey Haas licensing in his top fuel dragster. So um, Terry Totten did not get out of the first round, but my understanding is they had a great Monday Nationals of testing. A lot of teams stuck around, including the Coletta Motorsports team. Sean Langdon was testing Doug Coletta's dragster. 
So when we get into Sunday, it was just one of those kind of crazy days. Day of craziness in terms of red lights. They were just happening all over the place. And then the first round, we saw Matt Hagan, the number one qualifier, uh, keep his foot into it all the way to the finish line and graze. And I'm talking graze one of the foam blocks. I mean, barely enough to even move the thing, but he did hit it, was disqualified. So Jim Campbell moved on. It was nuts. And then we go, I'm sorry, that was Jeff Deal moving on. And then we go now to the other side of the coin where it was Robert Height taking on Jim Campbell. Height smoked the tires. Campbell goes down the racetrack. He blows it up. The thing's on fire. And Jim Campbell advances on to round two. That team thrashed, got the car back. They did get defeated in round two. But they had one round win for the entire season last year. So they've grabbed one in the second race, which uh, shows signs of promise for them. And they told Jim, pedal the car, do what you got to do out there on the racetrack. So when it broke traction, he pedaled it, was able to get it uh, back under control as best he could. And then by the time it got to about 800 feet, it had two holes out, and it was just a matter of time. And it uh, it blew up in spectacular fashion, but he did a nice job keeping it in his lane, getting it stopped, despite the fact that the windshield was literally blown right out of the body. So that was a bit of a shocker and certainly one that had the crowd on its feet where they <laughs> really spent most of the day. The red light stuff was going on in Top Fuel and Funny Car and Pro Stock. Um, there was some complaining. I don't want to say complaining. There were some aspersions cast at the timing system at Wild Horse Pass Motorsports Park, which have since been cleared up. And uh, the honest answer was Chris McGay. He was saying, hey, listen, this thing's jacked up. He got on the PA system after uh, basically timing out in his lane because he was going to stage the car. He saw the pre-stage light blink and then it went out and he inched ahead and he inched ahead and nothing and he timed out so he got on the top npa and was very um was very animated in his comments was very angry felt as though that there was a problem on the starting line a problem with the electronic eyes if you will the next day he did recant that statement and said that they had found a wire hanging low in the car which would have caused this problem the wire would have triggered falsely the pre-stage beam and it would have basically had him way farther back than he would have expected to be in staging hence the reason why he was nibbling up just not nibbling up enough and so that is why he timed out um not i'm not saying anything bad about chris here i'm just saying this is the situation that happened and this is a track that you know over the years there have been some numbers that have popped up in this place on the right lane that have been kind of weird but this weekend and really the last couple of years there has been nothing untoward about anything that's happened on the racetrack at wild horse pass in terms of the timing system its accuracy any of that stuff um the sanctity of what we do as a sport is dependent on the accuracy of that timing system and i can say without uh without fear of contradicting myself uh we had a an accurately timed event in phoenix this year and uh any problems that did come up uh especially the one with involving chris mcgahey have been explained and explained by the people that were involved in them they discovered a problem and hence they they have uh, kind of told us what it was now i think what's really interesting is that if there were going to be a problem with the timing system if there was something weird about it sportsman racers pick up on that instantaneously it wouldn't even have gotten to the pro categories before it was recognized because of the fact that sportsman racers are so in tune with all the numbers their cars run so consistently they spot these problems before anybody does and they report them before anybody does as well so good news on the arizona wild horse pass race the arizona nationals is the fact that uh, accuracy not not uh, questioned at that event and if you didn't hear the the follow-up end of that story with chris mcgay hey now you did so we now go to talking about jordan vandegrift 
who we had in the booth with us for the second round and semifinal rounds of the Nitro categories in Phoenix. And Jordan, a great young guy. Certainly want to see him back in a race car as quickly as possible. But he was great to have in the booth. I mean, the kid's funny. He uh, has a great head in his shoulders and has, although he doesn't have, you know, the, the grizzled experience of a 20-year veteran, um, is a guy who's successfully driven top fuel cars, is a guy who competed in a final round at Dallas last year, is a guy who by all accounts was going to win that race until he didn't, and Billy Torrance ran around him. So uh, Jordan did a fantastic job in the TV booth. I'm sure we'll have him back at some point. Would just love to be looking at him out the window with a helmet on in the front seat of a, or in the seat of a top fuel dragster as opposed to hanging out with us. But hey, I'll spend, uh, I'll take a young talent wherever we can get it. And he did a nice job when he hung out with us. So let's talk about the uh, three major final rounds, two of which we're going to have folks involved in on the show. The first one, Erica taking on Bo in the final round. And I'm going to bring this up to Erica because if we were talking to 2019 Erica at this time of the year, like Bo probably would have won that race because that's how it went last year for her for most of the year. Bo had a very strange day, blew up an engine, won around because Smeelan went red, had all kinds of other kind of weird things happening, but continued to win rounds, makes the final, and Erica does what she needs to do the applying all that elite motorsports horsepower and outruns him to the stripe picking up the victory we're going to have jack beckman on the show it is he and tommy johnson jr taken off off the starting line in nitro funny cars the two don schumacher racing team cars getting after it a great funny car final and tommy johnson jr picking up his first win since the mile high nationals last year this being said you know when those guys find their stride which we have seen them do repeatedly they are among the toughest in the world. Now, a team that has certainly found their stride and has and really found it at, during the countdown last year was the Infinite Hero team, and that's where we're going to talk to Jack Beckman about his success, where it was rooted, and what they can do to continue on. Finally, the Top Fuel final round. Maybe it was one that we all should have just penciled in when we rolled in the gate, one that I certainly did pencil in when we rolled in the gate on Sunday morning, Steve Torrance and Doug Coletta. And Doug Coletta, we all know he won the Winter Nationals. We all know that Steve wasn't there. We know that Steve and Billy came to Arizona. They had to race each other in the semifinals and did so as they always do with that type of uh, throat-ripping, you know, give-no-quarter style that they compete with. And they ran within a thou of each other in terms of elapsed time. Steve had a bit of an advantage off the starting line, so he beat his dad. But it wasn't some weird swan dive advantage. It was just one guy was better than the other as they all tend to be in terms of these two. These two guys, Bill and, and uh, Billy and Steve, when they race, it's it's among the best top field drag racing you'll ever witness side-by-side, side, bar none, end of story. In the final round, it was, uh, it was Steve Torrance doing what Steve Torrance does, winning. And they came back. They proved the point that, uh, yeah, they, they weren't at the Winter Nationals, but no, they didn't forget how to race a top field dragster. And so it was exciting to watch. It really is. When you see greatness... And you got to recognize that your personal opinion um, of Steve Torrance is irrelevant when it comes to this. This is a team that is great, and it is inarguable that they are among the greatest modern top fuel teams, perhaps the greatest all-time top fuel teams. They continue to maintain the personnel. They continue to race at this epic level, and they continue to walk into the door, roll into the track on Sunday, and feel as though they should win. And... They prove it time and time again. I mean, this is a team that has won now, I believe, the majority. The, the Torrance Racing, Capco Racing team has won the majority of top fuel races held over the last couple of seasons. It's incredible. 
And again, love them or hate them, you got to respect. You get you got to respect what's going on there. And Steve Torrance uh, was great all weekend long in the tree. Was great all weekend long with the fans. Was great all weekend long getting back into the groove of things in NHRA top field drag racing. And we sure hope that uh, the competition level will maintain between him and Doug Coletta because I feel like that's what we're going to be talking about when we get to the countdown this year. I just got a feeling Doug finally has a car that can run the number. Doug's car is repeatedly running in the 60s now and doing it without throwing the rods out of it, doing it without keep knocking the blower off of it. That's the car they need to compete with the Torrance team. It's one thing for Doug to be a great lever. It's one thing to be for him to be a great peddler. But unless they have a car that can actually throw the elapsed times on, the, the, the 360s elapsed times that they need when they need them, and to be able to dial it up and do it consistently, that is exactly what that team's going to need to uh, to try and stop Steve Torrance. And frankly, that's what any team's going to need to have to stop Steve Torrance. The playbook's simple. I mean, it's impossible nearly to execute, as we've seen, but it's simple. Drive a little bit better and be just as quick. Just do those two things and you can win, right? Drive a little bit better, well, that really goes on to the talent of the person who's sitting in the car. Be able to run those 360s at will when the situation calls for them. That is where the crew comes in. That's where the crew chief team comes in. And uh, Rob Flynn, Troy Fashing, very talented guys. We've seen what they've done. We saw what they did in the countdown, what they did at the World Finals, what they did at the Winter Nationals. And they uh, they are poised to be there, of course, as they always are, at the end of the year. A woman who was there at the end of the year is the reigning Pro Stock World Champion, three-time Pro Stock World Champion, Erica Enders, and she is our first guest on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Erica, how are things? Good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I don't know if I'm doing as good as Elite Motorsports is, though. That was a <laughs> that was an incredible weekend. We'll get to your victory, but um, I want to talk about the entire team because not only did you guys run really incredibly fast across the board but marty robertson uh, qualified for his first race as well yes he did um i mean obviously the, going back to the world finals uh with jeg being able to win that race and then coming out to the winter nationals and not just winning the race but dominating the weekend qualifying on the pole and i think running low et every run he he unclutched the car so uh really really cool situation for the in- entire team and then heading into phoenix obviously uh you know, Jag on the pole again. I I believe I qualified number two. Yep. Aaron Stanfield qualified number three, and then, like you mentioned, Marty Robertson getting in for his uh, his first ever Pro Stock National event. So it was it was definitely an exciting weekend all around. Yeah, I think the coolest thing about Marty qualifying is the fact that he had to qualify. Right? It was like <laughs> it, it isn't a situation where there's 16 cars and everybody just gets to go down the racetrack. Like he had to earn that spot, which I think makes it even that much more valuable to him. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was an earned position. And, um, you know, I think he went 669, which was uh, quite a bit off the, the top of the pack. But he has every capability of running, uh, you know, just as fast as us, us three guys that ran up at the front this weekend. So it's just uh, it's just going to take some seat time. He's doing an excellent job. But there are there are so many things that go on in that car, as you know, and you just got to got to make runs. So we're going to um, we're going to head to Orlando. But right before the door slammer nationals cool. and make some test runs with him. And then 
will run that event in Gainesville, and I just I just think the more seat time that he gets, uh, the better he'll get. Yeah, and it's a huge, uh, obviously, it's a big confidence boost to get in there and 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 do it the way he did it. And like you said, he, he, it's just all all about kind of the forward, you know, forward progress and momentum. Um, you know, one of the most interesting things we watched happen amongst the team this weekend was we saw Jag just. I mean, when we left there Friday night, Jag had out qualified the field by like three hundredths of a second, which is like Bob Glidden stuff, right? That just doesn't happen anymore. And no. you know, and, and then we watched pretty much every car in your in your organization pick up to that level so whatever you learn there obviously uh, has has filtered its way quickly across the rest of the cars and that's a neat thing to watch yeah for sure it is and that's what's so unique about our program and really cool is uh that all of our crew chiefs work together richard built a, a trailer jake's trailer and it's in the middle of all of our pits and it's got a double slide out lounge with six desks where all the crew chiefs sit and work together and share data so there's no reason why any of our cars shouldn't all you know run within a a hundredth or two of each other and um you know it's all chassis set up from that point because the horsepower from elite performances is pretty equal across the board and and that's something that's also unique about our program is everything that we have is like really awesome and we don't have a motor that's like oh well we'll just give that to this customer because he doesn't pay you know, as much and whatever, like typical stuff that you saw in the past of of pro stock racing. It's not that way anymore. It's just, it's awesome. And Richard's done a really fantastic job with all of that. Yeah, everybody clearly has a a seat at the big kids table now, (laughs) which is a a, a cool thing. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Now, the final, you know, you had a great day uh, yourself, obviously driving yourself to the final round, and Bo had a very strange day. You've had those days as well where you kind of look around and you're like, I'm in the final, but I blew up an engine in the first round and all this kind of crazy stuff happened. And the discussion we were having kind of in the booth uh, before that final round was like, is that the scariest guy to race? Like, not not Bo himself, but like (laughs) the guy that's there and seemingly like just is getting there by the by the strange ways is is that a, is that a weird guy to face in a final 100 percent. and and i'll tell you a quick fun story like when we got back from the semifinals and just knowing the the type of day that Bo had and, and having said that they have every capability to win any oh, race they go to and a former world champions so i don't want to take anything from him 100%. having said that having said that he did have a crazy day and i have had days like that before where <laughs> when it's your day you just can't screw up like you right. can't fall out of a tree and not hit a branch like it's just one of those deals so we came back from the semifinals and put the car up on projects and i'm servicing the motor with richard and i said anything that's in question if there's something that needs changed <laughs> if you know you're unsure of something i'm telling the clutch guy and richard or whatever as like i don't give a crap what it is fix it, change it, (laughs) put something else on it because I don't want to have something just go wrong up there because that's the type of day that he had. So it's kind of funny that, you know, that's the thought process because I've been there before, but you know, we, we were able to just get it done on Sunday. I didn't have my best uh, reaction time day. Obviously it's a little bit loose there in Phoenix, which is why you see such good 60 foot times. So uh, good 60 foot times make your reaction time a little uh, suckier for lack of a better word, but um, wasn't proud of uh, the numbers that I threw up on the board. But when you have such strong uh, horsepower from elite performance, you know, that that's when your guys pick you up. So uh, I'm excited to, to head back to a normal track where things, uh, things are a little bit more normal, I guess. So, uh, but it was, a, it was an interesting day and I am so proud of my team to go out there and run in the finals 700s faster than yeah. 
our competitor who are extremely tough competitors. They've got something going on over there and there's no doubt that, that it'll be fixed and they'll return to their normal form. But um, we'll, we'll ride the wave as long as we can, because as you know, pro stock goes in, in cycles. Yeah, it absolutely does. And one of the cycles that you were caught in last year was this cycle of having just horrendous luck and having all these weird things happen. <laughs> and so how satisfying is it to you? Like, Honestly, if 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 that scene, if if we had taken the, the you know, this race and gotten the time machine and gone back to 2019 and set the same two cars on the starting line in the same two scenarios that got them there, I feel like you're losing that race because that's how it went for you for most of last year. So, <laughs> is there not a relief, but is there even an additional bit of confidence where you're like, you know what, I don't really have to worry about the boogeyman anymore. You know, the the boogeyman is gone. You win the championship and you get those two wins in the countdown. <laughs> but understanding now that like. I am not going to be the victim of some cosmic circumstance anymore. Like I can actually, I have my fate's in my own hands. You, you hit the nail on the head and I don't want to talk about the boogeyman cause I don't want him to hear me come back. <laughs> but um, no, we did. We had a, a crazy beginning of the year and it even extended through the summer last year with my car and um, just crappy situations yeah. where we were having like main bearing failures. And yeah. That's not something that's typical of our program. And it seemed like every stinking final round we went to, that's what happened. <laughs> and we were good on the tree and I hit my shifts and my guys did a great job with the setup of the car. And, and then all of a sudden it just started grabbing a bearing, uh, you know, from high gear on and just kind of like putting brakes on. So we, uh, it wasn't our only issue through the year, but we, we had some, interesting parts failures and it just it's just the way things go sometimes so if you can just wait till the pendulum swings in your direction like it'll it has the potential to be lights out and that's what we talked about my crew chiefs and i this weekend and and richard as well just like and woody i think woody's the one that said it like you just have to have the staying power because pro stock again goes in cycles so you know i i go back to the beginning of my career i went seven years without winning anything so you just gotta you just gotta have the guts to stick around and and make it work and i've been uh, fortunate enough to have a great group of guys behind me and i'm glad the the pendulum has swung in our direction for the time being if we look at things in like a bigger perspective you've won three of the last eight races on tour if we look at things in a more kind of small perspective you you know you're you've won one of the first two of the season um what does it mean i guess to win early you know obviously the wins that you had in the countdown that propelled you to a championship have great uh you know have great implications but these early season wins is it is it just about setting the table i mean what's the i guess what's the difference for you as a competitor to, to get out of the gate like this a lot better than you did last year? I definitely feel like it's important and I feel like it's crucial. Um, You know, the countdown races are obviously the most important and especially with the way that it's structured this year and and postdoc, the class as a whole, losing one complete race in the countdown. We only have five countdown races this year. So our job is going to be to position ourselves the best way possible. And I, I say this every year, but to come out, at the beginning of the year, swinging like we are, um, we, we've we just got to continue the trend. You know what I mean? And um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a long season. Our competitors are stout, and I guarantee you that they'll be, they'll be back in their championship form before we all know it. But um, we'll just keep our heads down and keep working hard here at Elite Motorsports. Our goal, obviously, is to show up every weekend and, and just crush them and not not look back. I mean, we want to go out and win all 18 races for elite motorsports. We've got six cars, so I feel like we have a a decent shot, but uh, again, tall order and long year, but it's all about timing. So 
uh, <laughs> it's not just drag racing. It's your real life too. It's just, yeah, it's just about the good Lord's timing and you got to be there for the taking. We have had, um, at least in my observation over the first two races, like we have seen pro stock cars down track doing stuff that we normally don't see pro stock cars or haven't seen them doing in a while down track. And I know that there was, you know, ch- uh, rules changes made over the course of the, of the off season for this season with the shock package, what's allowed, what isn't. Um, I don't think at least I've not been told or witnessed any sort of big difference in track preparation for you guys. So I guess my question to you as a driver is, do you, do you know what's going on down track? Is this, is this something that we're going to see happen over the course of the next several races before tune-up changes or chassis changes get made? Or is this actually physically something to do with the racetrack? I personally think it's something to do with the racetrack. Um, I'll talk, I'll touch a little bit on the sure. rule change that was made. Um, we're no longer allowed to have dumps, which is a device that's on our on our shocks that going down track on a timer, it lowers the actual position, the actual ride height of the car going down the track. So it kind of sucks it down to the track, making it lower. And that was kind of something that was in question. A, they cost a little bit of money, not in the whole grand scheme of things, but a little bit of money. And then they uh, make you have less downforce. So it was kind of like a safety rule change, I guess. And it hasn't really impacted us. Uh, I feel like our package, we, we tested with it and without it. And I feel like our package works both ways. Um, in Phoenix, it's always that way. Okay. Like, I know Greg got loose in Pomona. Yeah. But Jason got way loose in Phoenix. And, you know, we Jason saw it. Yeah. Almost crashed. Yeah. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I, take pictures of my graph and I send it to Josh Peterson and, and the guys that are in charge of the track prep just because not to complain, but to, to show them what we're actually dealing with. If they can be knowledgeable about how our cars run and what we're dealing with. And I feel like they can make the situation safer. Now top fuel requires a different track prep than we do because the sticky pulls their tires apart. They only run to a thousand foot, blah, blah, blah. So after they run, they usually spray from 40 feet, to 1320 yeah well they changed it where they were spraying from 1320 to 660 so the whole front end of the track wasn't getting sprayed and that's where all of our gear changes happen so we're in high gear by half track so yes we need the sticky from 660 to 1320 but (laughs) you really (laughs) need it early and there's a lot going on early in the run so um the runs that they sprayed the track we at elite motorsports didn't have a problem the KB guys are really loose. I, I don't know what the difference is or what's going on and I'm not saying anything there, but I think if we can get the track prep to where it's consistent every run instead of, you know, spraying second round and gotcha. not spraying in the semis. And then if somebody complains, we'll spray in the finals and I'm not knocking in HRA, but yeah, if no, 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 this is a consistent yeah. deal. Yeah. I think that um, it, it'll make it safer for everybody and it's not, it's not just like, oh, Pro Stock's fancy pants. No, right. we, <laughs> it's no right. downforce. It's a short wheelbase yeah. suspended race car that needs track prep. So on a that's normal, my opinion. Yeah, no, and that's, and that's an informed opinion. That's what I was looking mm-hmm. for. And, and I guess my next question is, on a normal race day, because you run behind the fuel cars in the first session and then ahead of them over the course of the <laughs> rest of the day, is there normally, again, all things being equal on a normal weekend, is there a difference in how you attack the racetrack from that first round to when you were then uh, in a different order for the rest of the day? 
Yes, 100%. Great question. I'm thankful that I have Rick Jones and Mark Ingersoll to make those decisions for me, and I just have to unclutch it and shift it. But we definitely have a different package for when we run behind the fuel cars and when we run in front of them. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's again, it's, uh, you know, people, a lot of people at home just have the, you know, they just kind of set it up uh, on Sunday morning and then, you know, run the valves and just send it back up to the starting line, <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> not absolutely quite. not quite, the, not even close to the to the case there. <laughs> um, when we get down to Gainesville, obviously the, the uh, Door Slammer Nationals the weekend before, it's going to be great, kind of a, a, a an all-star race in my opinion, big money, no points on the line. It should be a very entertaining you know show to watch. That's for 100% certain. Um, when we get to Gainesville, we got some names coming back. We got more names coming back in already on the qualifying sheet. I see Bob Benz is on there. Um, John Gadosh is coming back. Uh, and then, you know, what's supposed to be Kyle Koretsky, Kenny Koretsky's son, supposed to be finishing up his licensing and, and competing as well. Um, it is pretty fun when you start to see these new names and, and Marty among them uh, for this season. We see guys like Kenny Delco that are competing at a higher level than we've seen in 30 years. Like, this is. You know, if last year was a little bit of a last year was a bit of a tease as to what we were going to see, what Pro Stock's reemergence has been. Well, this year it's in full swing. I, I, if I do rough math, we could have twenty three, twenty four cars pulling the gate for Pro Stock at Gainesville, which is epic. Exactly, and that's it's so exciting. It's exciting for me and and everybody that's put a lot of hard work into it. But you know, I'm so sick of reading on the internet Pro Stock's dying. Blah blah blah. It's not. It is coming back. Yeah. And, the, the rule changes that happened and then going to 18 races, we said it's going to take a season or two to start to see um, the numbers grow. And they've just progressively grown over the past two years. And it's really exciting. It's going to be like it, it used to be where, you know, the field is stacked at Gainesville and the East Coast races in Indianapolis. And you'll see higher car counts in pro stock, which I think is really exciting. And um I, I love all of the, the fresh new blood that's coming out there, the new drivers, and I think it's exciting for our entire sport, not just our class. Yeah, and, and understanding this guy is one of your competitors, obviously, but like it makes me smile big when I see Kenny Delco qualified fourth. It, it, it just It's a great thing because that guy's bled this class for years. He's been out there doing it along. A lot of times he's not had the horsepower to be fully competitive, but I mean, the dude is the dude is there, and and you know I don't got to say he's a win waiting to happen yet, but he's certainly a guy who I'm sure when you look at a qualifying sheet, it may catch your attention when you get down to that four spot and see his name there. Yeah, for sure, and for him to go to the semifinals yeah. in Pomona and be number four in the points and running up front, uh, you know, couldn't couldn't be a nicer guy either. And Frank Iaconi is doing a tremendous yes. job. It's cool to hear that name. Uh, you know, back in the mix, and I'm I'm excited for Kenny. I'm I'm I think that's what's so cool about our class right now is that it's just it's really tight, right? And anybody can win any day. Yeah, and it is it is as as much as it ever has been, maybe even more so than it ever has been a, a driver ability class. It always has been that, but when we look back, and you know, we did this had this package on Bob Glidden how he won the first you know four national events that were held in Phoenix, and you know when when Bob was at his height of just terror over the class, you know, not to say that he, he was always a great driver. The guy was consistent as the day is long, but he, in my opinion, raced in a completely different era of this class. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't, I think if we take Bob and put him at, in his prime and as equal a field as we have now, we don't see him rack up the incredible domination that he did. I, I just think it's so much more driver centric now than it ever has been. 
I I'll agree with you on the the driver centric part because it, it as close as the field is, um, especially last year. Yeah. Just I mean one to sixteen, just separated by a few hundredths of a second. So when you go up there, you know the weight of the world's on your shoulders, and it's up to you and your left foot. Um, your guys give you the best car that they possibly can, but everybody out there has a good car. So it you you just got to do your job, and I think it's made the competition level rise. I mean you. You've been around long enough to see that, you know, I've only driven pro stock for 16 years, but back in the yeah, day, only, like, only oh, just a quick 16 I years, say only, I feel like I'm 87 <laughs> years old. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I'm 17 in my mind, but I'm 87. But anyway, I just, I feel like at the beginning, like all of the reaction times were forties and fifties and sixties yeah. and even in top fuel and funny car, right. They used to be all 100 plus and yep. now those guys are hanging in the forties and the fifties and then all the pro stock cars are in the tens and twenties. Like it just, people have to rise to the occasion and the level of competition is intense and I love it. It's awesome. One, uh, one last question before I let you go. Uh, it was Richard Freeman's birthday weekend. Um, is he less tolerable on a birthday weekend or does it, is it just the same level? <laughs> it's the same level of Richard every day. Okay. Like <laughs> it's maximum. It's I just never, maximum Richard at all times. It, yeah. As soon as his feet hit the floor in the morning, he is like 9 million miles per hour. And I just never understand it because he's exhausting. But the, the reason he has all of the things that he has and all of the successful yeah. businesses that, that he runs is because he's a yeah he's an <laughs> he's attack a big mode. gambler yeah. and he's a hard worker and um, he takes no for an answer does not take no for an answer and you never have to guess what he's thinking I think the whole world knows how Richard is but he had a good birthday we we did the cake and ate the fillets you know we, we had a cookout at the track this weekend so we had a good time and enjoyed his birthday. And uh, I told him yesterday when he was on my butt again, uh, you know, at work selling trucks and trailers, I'm like, hey, it's not your birthday today. I don't have to be nice to you. Right. So, <laughs> but it was cool to win um, for our entire operation. And, and I am so stoked about the way our entire program is running right now. It's just uh, it's a fun time for us. Absolutely. A lot to be excited about. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to hang out on the podcast. Good luck uh, in a couple of weeks in Orlando and good luck uh, the week after that in Gainesville. I don't think you guys are going to need much of the luck part of it because you seem to have a seem to have a great thing going right now and just uh, worlds of momentum. So congratulations on that early season win as well thanks brian and i'll take all the luck i can get just for the record <laughs> thanks erica <laughs> all right have a good one all right always great to hear from the reigning pro stock world champion we're going to continue our conversations on this show with another racer that is absolutely red hot in 2020 and that's jack beckman this is a car that has been molten hot since the countdown of 2019 and they were able to carry the momentum through and get the season started right so jack beckman welcome to the nhra insider podcast again it's never a bad thing when we get to talk, huh, Brian? No, absolutely not, man. And, um, you know, this is a, a conversation a long time coming. I mean, if we look at what your team did at the end of last year and how you've carried it forward into the 2020 season, um, are you feeling like this is, if not your best start, the best kind of stretch you've had in terms of we, if we take the countdown races and the beginning of this season into consideration? Well, when you go out and win the Winter Nationals, I, I think it just takes such a monkey off your back. You know, after we lost in the final to our teammate, the MD Anderson car, um, they, they park right next to us, and they're truly our sister car because both of those are not only Schumacher cars but funded by Doug Chandler. Yep. 
Uh, so I'm very close to those crew guys. And, and we all genuinely care about one another. And listen, let me tell you, every racer and crew guy out there is incredibly selfish. The only person you <laughs> right. want to win is your team. But... But, and like I told those guys, I said, if, if you would have told me Sunday morning we were going to lose the final, the only car I would have been okay with losing it to was you guys. And, and he said the same thing. He said, you know, we've never won this early in the season. And pressure is a very intangible and subjective thing. Uh, we can measure air pressure, yep. you, you know, with our weather stations, but we can't measure the pressure of a race or a round or a qualifying run it really is just subjective it's what you make of it but when you go out and win that early uh man you just everybody just walks with a little more pep in their step and it's an affirmation of how good you are so i am i'm i said in the pomona press room after the win i said you truly never know if your last win is your last win right I'm 99.9% certain we're going to bag several more this year. We've got a car that is just clicking. We had no crew changes in the off season. We have good chemistry. We have everything it takes to go win a bunch of races, except for that intangible factor. Call it luck or fate or whatever you want. So are we seeing... Is the beginning of this season a direct result of the end of last season? It sounds like a dumb question, but there is that gap in the middle that it's we a, have. No, it's a perfect. You know, it's a perfect question. Yeah, we we went to Vegas preseason and truly treated that as a test. We didn't practice. We didn't knock the rust off. We treated it as a test. Guido and Madeline had a list of things that we wanted to try on our car to implement for later in the year. And then we locked all that stuff away, put the car back to where it was in, for November at the finals, came out to the Winter Nationals and picked up where we left off. We go to Phoenix, and we actually struggled. I mean, we weren't anywhere close to a dominant car in yeah. Phoenix. We lost the qualifying session to the weather, but no excuses. Our, our car would not have been considered a favorite on Sunday except for our reputation. And we still got a runner-up out of the deal. So we really were truly contemplating staying and testing on Monday. And I didn't dare ask Sunday morning. I didn't ask after we won first round. I didn't ask after we won second round. I didn't ask after we won the semis. In fact, I waited an hour and a half after we lost the finals <laughs> to go in and ask, are we testing tomorrow because I need to get a hotel room and change my flight? And Guido was still looking at the computer and scratching his head a little bit. And he said... I'm not sure. I said, well, well, here's my take. I don't want to stay and test tomorrow, but I want to win the world championship. Yeah. So whatever that takes, and he said, staying and testing tomorrow won't have anything to do with the world championship. We've got a good game plan to go out and run the next 16 races and then be prepped for the countdown. I said, okay, well, let's not test tomorrow then. Yeah, and, and, and Go ahead. Well, well, so what happened is he said, look, we, we changed a couple of things for here in the clutch. For Gainesville, we're going right back to stuff we have 400 runs of data on. I am, this is Guido talking. He said, I am very confident that we will unload and run well from the get-go there. So our plan is, from, for the next five or six races, is 
if you run really solid on Friday, you use those two Saturday runs to test new clutch discs, new clutch levers, different things in in the cylinder heads and supercharger. That that becomes your test time. And then if you need to stay after a race and test to flog to get several runs on the same day, we'll do that too. Yeah, it's great. And, and you know, and, and to me, this all speaks back to a point that. I know in my mind, it's something that I think is so important to to relate, to relay to to our fans, to the people that follow this sport, and that to this point, uh, through through our own fault, we haven't. And I, I keep thinking of ways to try and get this point across, and I haven't found a good one yet. But this is an incredibly cumulative sport, and so you know, from what from just what you've told me here, it's it is it's like an extension of the of qualifying, but it's a but it's a qualifying session that lasts for what eleven months or something, meaning that your ability to go to that preseason test and try stuff that's going to benefit you six months down the road puts you exponentially ahead of people who are trying to get stuff sorted out that they would use the following week, right? And so it's a very interesting thing. And and again, it, it speaks to... It speaks to an approach in drag racing that we need to educate people on the fact that you guys are thinking more than just ahead of the next run. You know what I mean? Well, I, I follow you 100% and... What's happened is don't think for a minute that we're willing to throw away a regular season race, one of the first 18 races. Because if you look at Major League Baseball and and basketball are probably the best examples. Their regular season uh, games are for the fans. I I mean, they got to win enough of them to make the playoffs. (laughs) But beyond that... Oh, sure, there's things like home field advantage. There, there's some subtleties there. But, but honest to God, it's not a big deal if they lose one game because they, they went to their eighth-string pitcher because they just wanted to try something. <laughs> right. We don't want to sacrifice a race. But on Saturday, now we're still potentially giving up those bonus qualifying points. So there, there's, there's a nugget there that, that you might be – you might be sacrificing the skirmish to win the battle or sacrificing the battle to win the war. Uh, but we need to learn things in race conditions. Now, staying Monday after a race and testing is the next best thing because the track was prepped by the NHRA crew just the day before. But really, when it matters is Friday and Saturday and especially Sunday and then Monday if you go to Indy. So if we can use Saturday, where sportsman cars are still on the same track, where the NHRA tractors are out there doing their normal prep, we can go out there and run in as real world of conditions as we need to be competitive in and try something different and see if it works. And the, the wild thing about testing is we've had a lot of crappy test days where it's like, well, that didn't work, that didn't work, that didn't work, that didn't work. But I've never considered any of them to be useless because oftentimes when you see what doesn't work, it points you in the right direction. Oftentimes when something doesn't work, you say, you know what? It might not work with this timer setting. It might not work with this ignition timing and fuel curve, but what if? And it, and it, and it opens your brain up to new ideas that help you get to the next level. Oh yeah, it's, it's the Thomas Edison theory, right? When he invented the light bulb, he said he, you know, he didn't invent the light bulb. He figured out a thousand ways how to not to build a light bulb until <laughs> until he found the one that worked. It's the, you know, it, it, you you if you if you take failures or you take uh you know aborted runs and just call them what they are just say okay well just take them at face value like you said that's a that's a that's a very short-sighted approach if you actually analyze why something didn't work and like you said maybe you maybe out of the three failed runs if you take pieces of one of those each 
a piece of each one and combine them in a different manner, you have you have some success there. So no, it's, right. that's it, pretty it, fascinating. The, the throwaway runs are the runs where the car smokes the tires right when you floor the throttle, where yeah. the thing literally doesn't go two feet. Because the problem with that, Brian, is you don't know if you missed it by 50% or five-tenths <laughs> of a percent. Yeah. And it's really hard to come back. Now, after that, the tough runs are when it goes out there and starts shaking or smoking in what we call the shake zone, from 50 foot to 160 feet. Because... You, you, again, you don't know how much you missed it by. But oftentimes when we go test, we'll do a 330-foot run. We'll do a 680-foot run. Because once you've got the front half of the track figured out, it's not a huge deal to figure out the back half of the track. And a lot of times in testing, that last 400 feet of the run is unnecessary wear and tear and money for us. Yeah, and then on the other side of the wear and tear side is, um, you know, the, the guys that work on the car. I mean, I know those test days are grueling for them, as, as grueling as a race day is, and then to chase it with a, a test day that's, you know, as as tough or tougher because then now you're now you're wiped out from basically racing four days in a row. you got to pull the trailer down and all the stuff. You, you know, yeah, you gotta, you got to okay. be in fine, you know, to be in prime fighting shape, so to speak, when you get to the end of the season. You know, how many, how much of that energy do you want to expend now versus when you really want to lean on everybody later on down the road? But the irony of that for the crew guys, and I, I want to detail the picture that you just outlined here, is – if we run the car to the finish line, the cylinder head guy has more potential work to do. The supercharger guy has more potential work. It just adds work for the crew guys. But the crew guys get pissed if we don't run the car to the finish line <laughs> on test days. And I'll tell you why. On test days, there are no trophies. There are no points. The only pat on the back, the only thing that makes you feel like we're pretty good right now, is what the scoreboard says. Yeah. And they get mad if I shut off at half track. I said, guys, I don't own the car, and I'm not the crew chief, because they want to <laughs> see a big number on the scoreboard. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek. They, yeah. they understand what we're trying to accomplish. No, absolutely. And that and that goes back to the leadership. Uh, you know, that goes back to the leadership on your team, of course, as well, which is which is clearly firing on all cylinders and retaining your entire team. Another another point of uh, another point of interest that that fans maybe don't key in on as much is like when we look at the teams that have tenure, those are the people that succeed. Well, yeah, because listen, to, to know how to race, you have to know how to run the car. To know how to run the car, at some point, you got to know how to test. You have to figure out what recipes work, but before you can figure out what recipes work, you kind of got to understand how the oven works and how the mixer works and, and how you mix things in the bowl. So testing is just a necessary evil to go out and win races and contend for championships. It is. And let's talk about race day itself um, on Sunday in Phoenix because, man, it, it was a weird freaking day. I had Eric on as the first guest, and, you know, she had Bo in the final. And I know you, you kind of, as much as you can, you, you keep tabs on what's going on. And Bo Butner had a bizarre day, and it was one of those things where, like, this guy's probably just going to win this race because it's like, a you know, a zombie. He's just kind of going ahead and making his way through the rounds. You know, when do you ever see a pro star car win a round while the guy grenades an engine? Like, never. Um, and on the funny car side of things, it was pretty crazy as well red lights galore yeah and, and and that's something that you don't see a lot so when you see several of them on the same day you say okay is this is this correlation or is this causation there and and i don't think there was any malfunctions in the timing equipment i, I and and it certainly wasn't like it went from bright sunshine to complete overcast <laughs> right. so all of a sudden we see the bulb better out there sometimes you just scratch your head and you say i 
I don't know. I, I, it was just one of those days. And it's funny you say that because when we're going deep in the rounds, I don't get to see anything. Yeah. I don't get to go up there and enjoy what, what's going on with the sportsmen or the other pro cars. So, so I didn't really know who was in the finals until we towed up into the lanes and see the other cars up there for the finals. And um, I'm just sitting down to watch the TV, the, the coverage, and I'll usually get the chance to watch about a half hour at a time, then i got to go do something. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that happened while I was <laughs> right. going up to the staging lanes. Yeah, it was uh, it was an entertaining day. I was I was very happy to see you know the sellout on Sunday. I mean, it you know Saturday. It's like the funny thing was, and and again, you're racing, so you don't get to hear this stuff. But as I was driving to the track, the weather guy on Saturday said. We're gonna have as much rain as we had exactly on this date last year. Like it, it was the most rain they'd had all winter long, and it happened a year ago on Saturday at our race, and it happened this Saturday at our race again. <laughs> well, th- listen, I can guarantee them a way to make the rain happen one week later next year. <laughs> move Just the, move the race one week later, <laughs> right, right? Right. Yeah, it was uh, it, ultimately it was great. You know, the Sunday crowd was uh, spectacular, and they were very they're an engaged crowd. You know, we go to different places, and it's kind of funny for. And I'm sure you feel this too. You know, Denver is just an electrified energy, and I, I started to feel that at at Arizona this weekend or last weekend when you know you watch the crowd and hear them react to stuff. If I can hear the crowd through the glass where I'm working, I know that uh, I know that it's a kind of a rocking joint. Well, and you know what, Brian, I, I've been critical of some decisions uh, by NHRA and track operators and whatnot, and but I also think I'm balanced. I've praised the the uh, the decisions and actions that they've done that I think are helping the sport. And I'm going to tell you something. You know, every sanctioning body claims their attendance is up 500% a year. Uh, and and the, the, the reality doesn't support that. But our stands, in general, over the last three to four years, you're seeing a bump up in attendance. Now, you're always going to have those weird days Sunday at Pomona. The weather forecast yeah. was horrible, yeah. and that completely destroys walk-up ticket sales. Did not have a good crowd Sunday at Pomona. The Friday crowd at Phoenix, and for whatever reason, Fridays are a tough day to get people to come out to the drag races, was good for a Friday. We can do better. The Saturday crowd, the weather was horrible, and I couldn't believe the amount of people that stayed. The Sunday crowd was amazing. It blew my mind because when we went to same-day television coverage 18, 20 years ago, um, the Sunday crowd went down a little bit. People could go home and watch the race the same day yeah. from the comfort of their couch. So it's tougher to get them to come out Sunday. Whatever we're doing there, whatever they did at Wild Horse Pass, it worked. It was a great crowd. Yeah, it really was. It was. It's. It's to me, and it's always like you know. It's. I don't. I don't necessarily consider any race a canary in the coal mine for for how things are going. You know, it's not like. Um. You know, I, I think we have expectations of each place we go. Like we expect that Denver's going to be full for three days when we're there. We expect certain places to deliver like that. And and I was interested to see what Sunday was going to look like. You know, I was and uh, I was really pleasantly surprised to see the place uh, jamming like it was. So, uh, what is Jack Beckman going to do the next week or two uh, as he gets ready? for Gainesville mm, I'll mow the lawn today my buddy's going to come over we're going to attempt uh, try number 52 at getting the brakes to work correctly on my El Camino cool uh, I'm, I'm going to go over to a buddy of mine's house he is giving me or I should say I'm going to become the custodian of his entire drag news collection from Whoa. 1955 issue one to 1978 the last issue that's awesome and uh 
Yeah, so I got to clear some space out for that, and and I, I feel like I'm just kind of the the steward of that, and it, it will pass through me. You know, he doesn't want it to end up uh, on Craigslist or yeah. My wife said on in the same day you need to do both of those. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's going to be awesome. I, you get it. You're this way. Lewis yeah. Bloom is this way. Bob Fry's this way. I will have archives where I can go back and look at anything in almost real time, right? You want to know about the evolution of parachutes, you go back to 1958 and start reading the drag news articles. This predates National Dragster. And then, um, and then I'll probably go help my buddy work on his NE1 car, and then I'm going to go pick up some 392 parts from Mike Cook, as in Stonewood, yes, Cook, sir. the son of Doug Cook. Yeah, yeah, for my buddy Brent Cannon, who owns the California Charger, front engine car and at some point we're going to get him to start the restoration on that thing right now he's collecting parts so man that's a good that you got a good stretch going on here that's uh that yeah, is yeah, that is a nice that is a nice well-rounded stretch you got some history you got heavy parts you got brakes functioning this is a, this is a good thing yeah and i'm out of antibiotics so I, i'm hoping my cold <laughs> is going to leave any anytime soon i mean this this one is just the one that keeps on giving um and and I'm feeling way better, even though I don't sound it. But God, this has been three, or, yeah, three weeks of this. Yeah, and if I can get you one more question before I let you go, you know, uh, we've heard and and hear a lot of stories over the years of athletes in different sports. You know, they feel like garbage and they perform very well on a particular day. One of Michael Jordan's greatest games, he had a fever of like 103 and he just couldn't miss. Um, you obviously felt, you know, you felt like roadkill um, during during Pomona. Did it? Did you notice within yourself any extra ability to focus? Did you notice anything different about yourself when you were kind of in the race car, feeling like garbage? Yeah. Um, first off, from Michael Jordan, for to, to have to go out there and perform something physical while you're physically not feeling good, that's heroic. That's where giving it 110 percent actually makes sense. Otherwise, you're bad at math, right? In in a race car, the only really Real physicality is wearing that fire suit and getting crushed down by those seven-way harnesses and then putting a helmet on top of your head that was already too hot. But everything after that's really mental. Uh, and you will perform well, and people can argue this all they want. It's a fact, and it'd be easy to prove. You will perform your best with a clear head. And to take it one step further, you will perform your best with a lack of negative thoughts going through your head. Okay, when you feel as crappy as I've felt the last two races, there's no room for negative thoughts to go through your head. <laughs> you just, you know, you, you, I, you, I just had a serious case of the blahs. Now, physically, I'm not at my best. Um, if I was going to go out and try to throw a baseball, I wouldn't perform as well as when I'm feeling better. But you're staring at this light bulb on the Christmas tree, and the idea is, the instant you see anything, you want to rocket your right foot down. Uh, you can do that when you're not feeling great, and sometimes you can do it about as well as when you're feeling your best. So the only downside about being sick in a race car is, well, you're sick and you're in a race car, but you can still win races that way. In fact, I might have the best winning percentage of anybody out there when I'm not feeling good. <laughs> well, I wouldn't want you to. Uh, I wouldn't want you to go back into the uh, into the you know the creeping crud there. But hey, man, whatever works for you, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I'd love to hoist the trophy up at Gainesville and feel perfect that day too. But but you know, it's one of those jobs, Brian, where you don't get to call in sick. Now, I have a wonderful job. I love my job. It's a lot of travel. It's a lot of potential stress. It's a lot of 
team interaction there. So if you don't enjoy that stuff, it's not for everybody. But I feel incredibly fortunate. Don't don't take this as me whining about something. Oh, absolutely not. But when you don't feel good, you don't feel good. But there's you don't get to call in sick. It's not like you work in an office with 40 other people and say, listen, I'm not going to make it in for the next couple of days. I'm feeling under the weather. It's like, hey, I'm feeling under the weather. And I still got to pack shoots, and you still want to go out and, and interact with the fans, and you got to get your head in the game when you get strapped in the car. That's a fact, Jack. Thank you very much, Jack Beckman, for taking some time with us. Uh, enjoy the next couple of weeks with everything you got going on, and uh, I expect you to smell like uh, some nice, crusty old magazines when I run into you at Gainesville. And it, it, to your point of reference, I am uh, as I sit here at my desk, I look to my left, and I have a stack of Speed Mechanics and Speed Age magazines from the mid-50s until 1960 uh, for another project I'm working on with some interesting NHRA ATAA history that Mr. Kepner, our mutual friends, helped me out. So you'll be hearing about that in an upcoming podcast. But, man, I appreciate it, and I appreciate everything that you uh, bring to the table for the sport of NHRA drag racing. Thank you, Jack. Love listening to you. I'll see you in a couple of weeks, and we should do this a few more times this year, Brian. I feel like that's a good plan, man. Talk to to you guys later. See ya. Really enjoyed talking to Jack Beckman. Brings a ton of insight in, I think, uh, how he talked about testing, how he talked about his team's position at this point in 2020 is uh, is really insightful, and I hope you all enjoyed that. And I always love talking to Erica as well. Three-time world champion has, in my mind, the same kind of level of depth of insight into drag racing that Jack Beckman brings to the table. So a couple of straight-line scholars we had on the show this week. The next episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast will be coming at you next week. we got some time before Gainesville, so we'll probably explore some different subject matter, maybe catch up on some of the new names that are going to be showing up in Gainesville, some of the returning older names that are coming back into the sport of NHRA drag racing, and maybe dive into some history as well. It's going to be great. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the NHRA Insider Podcast, and make sure you spread the word so all of your drag race-loving friends can catch up the inside news of the sport of NHRA Mellow Yellow Drag Racing. I'm Brian Lone and I'll talk at you next time.